Hello friends, Misty here, and I'm settling in for another episode of Marketing Sweats. It's season seven, and I'm shining the spotlight on female leaders at organizations in typically male-dominated industries. Today, I'm sitting down with Lauren Parker. She's the VP of Operations at Civil and Environmental Consultants, also known as CEC. Her journey began in the Mechanical Engineering Technology Program at Pennsylvania State University. After graduating, she joined CEC as one of only two females in the civil engineering practice of the firm's Pittsburgh office. She quickly learned how to hold her own and be strong in her own voice and confident in her knowledge. Over the years, her career has continued to grow, and in 2022, she was promoted to Vice President of Operations. I'm excited for you to hear more about Lauren's story and the leadership lessons she learned from being a female in an engineering industry. So let's get to it. Welcome. We have Lauren Parker with us today. She is the VP of Operations at Civil and Environmental Consultants, otherwise known as CEC. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. It sounds like you have a very big job with a lot of responsibility, but I always love to start understanding a little bit about your background and how you came up in the world. And it always helps me understand kind of how people tick if I can understand their story. So let's start from the beginning. So I grew up in a small town, a small town of Butler, which is about an hour north of Pittsburgh. My dad worked in a steel mill. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had two older brothers, went to church, was very involved in youth group. I was a cheerleader all through high school, had the local newspaper delivery job and some other odd jobs at Arby's and, you know, a waitress at a restaurant and things like that. And, you know, generally I would say it just had, you know, a really good childhood growing up a lot of support from my parents and everything was great, I would say. And then I went off to college after I graduated, I went to Penn State and majored in mechanical engineering technology. At the time when I was in college too, I also met my future husband. His name is Ryan. He was he went to my same high school, but was a little bit older than me. So we really connected once we went to college. After we graduated from college. We had a brief stint in Washington, D.C., decided, yeah, it wasn't really for us, moved back to the Pittsburgh area. And that's when I started working here at Civil and Environmental Consultants. That was in 2004, starting out as a civil staff consultant. So I'm very thankful. I always think back on this, that they took a leap of faith by hiring me because my undergrad was in mechanical engineering and they hired me as a civil engineer that really didn't know a lot about it, didn't have any AutoCAD experience. It was a little bit of a different, I think, labor market back in 2004 than it is now, obviously, started here and just started growing in my career and learning a lot. Okay, cool. So tell me, what was it about you as a kid, maybe in school or, you know, that piqued your interest in deciding to go into engineering? My dad was kind of like the guy that could fix anything bit mechanically inclined, could fix anything on the car, fix anything that broke in the house, whether it be electrical or anything at all. And so I think that was just part of, of me too. And both of my brothers went into engineering as well. So my one brother works at a window manufacturing company designing in the engineering department. My other brother works at a steel mill, very hands-on, can design things. So just part of, I That's think, our, our whole family. That's a theme this season is the male influence in our lives okay. as uh, little girls. So yeah, it sounds it like my dad. <laughs> that's great. Okay. So 
talk to us a little bit about why you chose mechanical engineering. Maybe, you know, not all of us understand all the differences and all the different types of engineering. And then you talked about switching to civil. So tell me why you chose that and kind of what that shift looked like for you. Yeah, I th- you know, I'm like, you know, thinking back when I was a senior and in high school, and I don't feel like you always really know what you're doing. But um, again, I think I was a problem solver. I liked that, you know, the more hands-on, you know, designing and problem solving. And so mechanical, that's what I went for. The story about how I turned out going into civil was that my husband now, he graduated college before me, went to DC, got a job. He's um, an accountant. And I followed, of course. And one of my professor's son-in-laws had a civil firm that was right by where Ryan was living. And so I said, okay, I'll try civil, right? You're, you're, solv- you're sol- still solving problems. It's just we're sol- solving different kinds of problems. That's so interesting. that's how I became a civil engineer. I love that. Tell me about your journey to CEC there and just give me like a little sense of when you got your feet wet, right? You get you get into this bigger organization and what was the job like? What what are some of your earliest memories being a female in a sort of male dominated industry like this? When I first started, there was in our civil engineering group here in Pittsburgh, it was just myself and one other female. She was a couple had a couple more years experience than me, but really just figuring out how to design things, all the guys that I worked with. And again, I had gone through college with a lot of guys. So I was, it was not unusual for me to be one of the only females. So just learned a lot. I worked on mostly commercial projects, some schools, so designing like Target stores and Lowe's home improvement stores. So this was everything outside of the building. Right. So we would lay the site out, do the grading, erosion, sediment control, stormwater management, get all the permits, construction documents. Part of that was working with architects, real estate developers, as well as contractors, because we would start from a, a greenfield site the whole way through design and permitting through construction to the grand opening. So you worked with a variety of people. And again, many of them were males. And so, you know, having to go out on construction sites to check status of how the work was going or respond to questions they had, I quickly just had to learn that I needed to hold my own or, you know, I wasn't going to get accomplished what I wanted to get accomplished. So. That's so interesting. I know you submitted that as part of your write-up. You said, I quickly learned how to hold my own and be strong in my voice and my knowledge. Do you remember why specifically that occurred to you at that time, such a young age, I guess? And were you ever treated differently by your male counterparts, either in school or the different subject matter experts you were working with? It was not in school. I remember one specific episode or incident that happened probably after I'd been working for six years or so. But I knew there had been a couple prior to that where maybe a contractor was pushing back on me, thinking he could just tell me how he was going to do it, even though I was the one sealing the drawings. But it was a very large gas plant, natural gas plant that was being constructed that I had designed and got the permits for. And I had scheduled a meeting on site with the Department of Environmental Protection and my client. And I had never met some of the individuals that were higher up at my client's company. And so we all showed up on site and a couple of the more senior people at my client were like, you know, I was like 28 sure, and I probably looked like I was 18 (laughs) or something. And um, they actually called back to 
CEC's office in Pittsburgh and asked that they please send a more senior oh my male. Gosh. For the meeting. Wow. I was like totally devastated, so mad. So fortunately, you know, I was the one that designed it, so I was the one that knew it. So fortunately, the the engineer that came down, he was probably pretty high up in this civil group. And he showed up and he said, I don't know anything about this project because I haven't been working on it. He said, so I'm just going to stand here. You need to run the meeting. That was like perfect, right? Because he was supporting me and knew I knew what I was doing. So he just kind of stood there and was like, okay, well, Lauren designed the project. She knows about it. So I'm here for additional input if needed. And Lauren's going to run the meeting. And I ran the meeting. And then it was fantastic because at the end, those gentlemen from my client actually apologized to me. Oh, that's awesome. I love that so much. (laughs) I can't tell you how many experiences I've had like that where I walk in a room and I can tell there's a lot of question marks. But then once you start talking and proving yourself and stating that you know what you know, the walls start to come down. That's awesome. So I'm curious, I circled this on my notes here, corporate oil and gas market lead. What a cool industry to work in. So was that a big part of your evolution and success, would you say? Yes, it definitely was. Yeah. So that was around, so I started here at CC in 2004. About 2008 is when the Marcellus Shale, which is like comes up here through West Virginia and Pennsylvania, is when the Marcellus Shale really, I guess, started happening, we'll say. And so I started working on a couple well pads for EQT Production, who is, I think, the largest producer of gas in the country now. And just started learning more about the industry, the ins and outs. It's a lot of people think that designing a well pad or a compressor station is way different than designing a sheets gas station or a grocery store pad. It's really not. You're designing to code, creating a flat pad that either they're going to drill a well on or they're going to build a building on. So it was pretty easy to transfer. It was just learning the lingo of the different industries. So I started working on that a lot. And then actually in 2010, I got the opportunity to open an office for CEC up in Northeast Pennsylvania to serve some oil and gas clients that were up there. And there was just no consultants up there. So they had actually asked us, will you establish an office here to help serve our needs? So I I was able to go up there for two months to kind of get the office established and kicked off with a couple other individuals. And then shortly after that, I got involved in the Marcellus Shell Coalition, which is a group of oil and gas operators and consultants and other vendors that really get together to talk about what's happening in the industry. We review upcoming and new regulations, provide comment, coordinate with the different regulatory agencies. And so I got really involved in that and eventually was a vice chair of one of the committees, which gave me a great platform to speak about different things in the industry and kind of be seen as as an expert where then people would call me asking me questions and giving me projects. So people started calling, I started bringing in more work, more projects and revenue to the company. And so the oil and gas industry and my involvement in it really did help to spur my career forward. That's awesome. And I think another theme I'm hearing in your voice that I've heard a lot as I've interviewed other females in this industry is just the importance of networking, right? And growing your influence and working with all different types of people and facilitating those conversations. Is that part of your story? That was the biggest part of the success was just 
speaking at meetings, going to the happy hour networking events, walking around the room, saying hi to everybody, introducing myself to people. You know, I think this is one of the things I was going to mention as a, as an advice at the end, but like being seen and making sure people know who you are, knowing that you're a resource, someone they can call. And, you know, and I guess in that same token, when they call, you need to answer and be responsive to them. So yeah, networking. I think those are awesome lessons. Yeah. I have a construction client that I was working with and she's a female president of a construction company. And I think that it is surprising in a good way to see a female on the face of the website and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, now in your current role, vice president of operations, and you said you're one of only, you're the only female on the leadership team. Tell us about that and what that's like. We have regional vice president of operations. So again, so we take different pieces of the country and I'm covering six offices in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. The three other VP of ops are males, our CEO who just became our CEO and president in the past year is a male and he's actually been my mentor and I've worked for him directly for the past probably 16 years, which is fantastic. He's great. And our COO is also a male. So again, it's something I'm not, I'm not used to. So it's kind of like standard protocol, but yeah, it feels nice to be part of this group. And I'm also, I will say a bit younger than the rest of them (laughs) as well. That's kind of yeah, yeah. Something I'm proud of. Well, you and I were talking a little before we got started here, and I'm kind of like you. I never really think about my gender. You know, I I was here at, at Samantha. We focus on these heavy industry markets, and so I've always been surrounded by a lot of male client counterparts. But my leaders were female, but I also had some male leaders, and I just never really thought about it. Has that been the, true for you? Yes and no, I guess. I'll, I will say sometimes one of the founders of CEC who just retired at the end of last year, but he was the president and CEO and the, he is the chairman of our board. He's always been very supportive. And sometimes he'll say, oh, like, do you want to do this? Or do you want to join our management committee? And I'll say, I do if you're putting me on it because you think I'll add value. I don't want to do it if you're just putting me on because I'm a female. And I always say that stuff. And he's like, no, no, no. And and I mean, I I do believe it that he, again, because I will speak up and I will give my opinion. So I think it's good. But yeah, so sometimes I'm like, okay, well, I want to make sure you think that I'm bringing value. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I love how direct you are about that. So tell our listeners a little bit about CEC as an organization and then a little bit more about your role day to day, what you do there right now. Yeah, sure. So CEC was founded in 1989 by four guys, three engineers and one geologist here in Pittsburgh. They had all worked at a company together previously and just had some issues with how things were being run and felt like they they had a better picture of what the kind of company they wanted to run. So they decided to start it. So again, that was with four guys in 1989. And now we've grown to about 1300 people in 31 office locations across the country. All four of the founders are now retired. They created a really great employee stock ownership program where over the years, they've been able to transition their ownership to a lot of us other employee owners. So so we've been able to purchase all of their stock back from them. And we now have about 550 employee owners of the company, which is really fantastic. And it, it gives a lot of ownership when you know that your decisions will result in either 
more money in the stock or less money in the stock, which is in your pocket. So, you know, I think it gives everyone a little bit more, like I said, ownership of thinking about how what they're doing will affect them personally, as well as will affect their colleagues. That's really nice. And, and, you know, you reap the benefits of your good work directly. So absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. At what point in your career did you become an owner? And did that shift your thinking at all? I think it did. You know, when you first get out of college and they talk, oh, we're an employee-owned company, you can get stock. That's not necessarily something that you're really thinking about. At least it wasn't when I graduated. And I I think a lot of the the new entry-level people are more focused on paying their rent and, you know, paying off their student loans. And then as you move a little further along in your, your career and just your life, you realize, oh yeah, this is great because now this is another piece of retirement for me. So you get stock as your year-end bonus here at CEC when you become a manager. So that's how we make this whole transition happen. Half of your year-end bonus comes in stock and half comes in cash. So that provides the constant purchasing of stock in the corporation, which then allowed us to purchase all the stock back from the original founders. So, But then you can also purchase it at any level of the organization, an entry-level individual could purchase stock if they wanted to. It really does grow and result in, like I said, I'm very happy that I have it as something that I'll have when I retire. That's so great. So tell us more about your role as VP of operations. So it sounds like you took this job in 2022. So what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah. So, well, I say I, my day-to-day, I'm often like, I guess I'm still transitioning a little bit from being an engineer that managed projects, would review, have deadlines with clients, clients calling me. And now I don't necessarily have any of that. And I'm not really doing any engineering anymore, even though I tell people I'm still here. If you need help with something, please call me. But it's more talking with my office leads. So in this role, so I have six offices and the leaders of the each office has an office lead, we'll call them, and they report to me. So I'm talking to them often about things that are happening in their office. And we establish goals at the end of each year. And so their office goals become my goals, whether it's to increase revenue by 10% or hire 15 people or increase profitability things like that. So all of their goals that are in their you know, year-end letters all get wrapped up into my year-end letter that tells me what my goals are. So again, I'm just really working to help support them, be here, help them when they're you know, really busy you know, running an office of 100 people and the financials come out that I can help dig into the numbers. Hey, I see that you know, this one client has a really low multiplier. What's going on here? Is there something we need to do? And just like I said, help support them, see where we can make tweaks and changes. Sure. So what's your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is probably feeling like I'm helping people. When something comes up and one of my offices calls me, hey, like, I don't know what's going on here, but can you help me figure this out? And I, you know, it's nice I'm in the Pittsburgh corporate office. I can walk down the hall and sit in the CEO's office, sit down in the controller's office, sit down in Rick, our CFO's office, and really dig into things and then get back to them. Hey, this is this is why this was like this. This is why your office was charged for this or things like that. So I think providing solutions and helping the office leads is right. what makes me feel good. 
Well, you used the phrase problem solving earlier in our conversation, and that's why you wanted to go engineering. So it sounds like you're just doing that more at a systems level, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not solving like dirt moving or stormwater issues. Now I'm solving more like some people issues or other things like that. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned dirt moving, and that's another thing that I want to dig into just because so many of the people that I've interviewed said, God, I fell in love with these industries early on because I was out in the field. Did you have that opportunity too? And is that why you stayed, I guess, in the business as long as you did? So I did have the opportunity to go out in the field a lot. I mentioned when the Marcella Shale started, I went out probably three days a week for six months and did inspections along new pipeline construction. And recently, like 2020 to 2021, I worked on a very high profile pipeline project here in Western Pennsylvania that was having some issues and was out in the field a lot inspecting things, seeing like how we could fix an erosion issue or why there was a slope failure. So I was out in the field a lot. I would say that is not necessarily why I stayed in this industry. (laughs) You know, specifically for CEC, the reason why I stayed here was friendships I had, the leadership of this company And I guess just my belief in what we were doing here. So, you know, the leadership here really cares. Like I mentioned, the one of the founders that was the CEO and president, you know, he was so accessible. He really cared. If you're like, hey, Ken, like I'm having this issue. Can we talk? Yeah, he'd sit down and talk to you. Like, what do you need? How how can I help? As we're growing, you know, it gets a little bit harder to be constantly accessible to people, but we're really, I think, trying to be thoughtful in We did an engagement survey last year. What do our employees want? What are the issues? How can we fix it? It's not just always compensation, right? What's the work-life balance that we could probably hit on? You know, we've instituted a 3-2 policy, so three days in the office, two days work from home. And then we just recently brought out another policy that is a 980. Because some people... Some people don't want to work. I don't like working from home personally. And there's other people here that don't like working from home. So that's the three, two things, not that great for us. But maybe a 980 is where every other week you can have a day off. Like that's fantastic, right? So then we have some other things like some of the, going back to, you know, the female male thing, but a lot of females, although some males have started doing it recently too, after they have children have gone part-time. Actually, I know of at least two males that I know here right in my office that have gone to part-time to help out more with childcare once they have a baby. So there's a lot of flexibility, I think. It's just, it's a great place. Awesome. So very, very good workplace culture, it sounds like, and a lot of opportunities to grow. It was interesting to talk about you moving from the role of a practitioner to the role of a leader. What has been most challenging in that, maybe for you personally, in your own growth and development? I mean, we talked about me having a strong voice and being willing to talk about it. Well, sometimes that doesn't always translate super well with all of your employees. You know, I think I've had to learn that sometimes the very forceful, direct authoritative approach is not the appropriate approach. So people listening, I guess I'll say, I think a lot of people get coaches and I think it's fantastic to always be working to improve yourself. So I had a coach at one point in time and it was really about communication and how I was communicating and thinking about, well, did you think about how that sounded to them and how they took that? What if you had said it like this? Did you ask them this? And just, you know, that went on for a couple months where we talked like for an hour once a week, just through what happened this week. And I think it was really eye-opening for me as a better way to, again, communicate with people that I think has really helped me to become better at what I do. 
Definitely. And I think so many of the strong female leaders that I work with get that same exact feedback. I have a big voice and I want to use it, right? And you wouldn't be used sitting where you are if you didn't. You know, one of the things I think you had in your notes was like the difference between how males and females are treated. And a lot of the guys would always say, you're just an aggressive go-getter, Lauren. I don't know if you look up in the Urban Dictionary what that means, but you're an aggressive go-getter. And that's sort of what I was, they deemed me as. And it's like, no one ever called the guys who were very direct and any names, you know, and I'm like, whatever, fine. I am an aggressive go-getter. I don't care. Like, Yep. <laughs> I There came a point in my career and I tell this story a lot where people kept saying, Misty, you push too hard, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's how I get stuff done. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm proud of it. Tell me a little bit about your, everybody has different points of view on work-life balance. Tell me a little bit about your, maybe a little bit about your personal life and how you sort of make sure that you're where you need to be at any given time. Yes. One thing is that I live by my calendar, have to. I mean, and me and my husband put things on there, right? If I have something after work, I send him a calendar invite. So it's on his calendar and vice versa. So we constantly are, are using our calendar. And if it's not on the calendar, I don't, it doesn't exist. But I did have th- three babies in less than three years. Wow. So that, w- that was when I was at oil and gas lead w- when it was just really, really busy. So they're now almost three, four, and five. It keeps things busy and it does really require me to put limits on what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do and really think and be thoughtful about traveling and staying overnight at other places. We're fortunate and my husband is a CFO at a construction company. So he is very busy with his career as well. So, you know, we're fortunate that we have a babysitter that has been working for us for about three and a half years that comes to the house every day. So that's really helpful. I have to be home at 530 every day to let her go. And that's what I'm doing, period. You know, there's no questions asked that that's what I do. And then I make sure that, you know, we're home in the evening to be with the kids. The other thing that I think is really important that it's easy to forget is to plan date nights. It's so easy that you get so busy and you have the kids and everything is crazy all the time. And sometimes I say, I feel like the two of us have just gone out for dinner in a long time. I'm going to call your mom and see if she'll come over. And, you know, maybe we plan it for like two weeks from now. We put it on the calendar, but it's easy to kind of let that stuff slide And it's not good. And so I try really hard to like at least, you know, once a month or something, get a date night scheduled so that you can actually go out and have adult talks. Yes. Keeping your partner at the forefront is a big challenge in the work-life balance equation. Right. Yeah. And again, since I mentioned, you know, that I don't have a lot of client deadlines anymore, I think it's just, it's a little bit easier for me to prioritize. And I think even when I did have a lot of client work, I just prioritized which projects I was going to take and which I wasn't going to take. I'm not the person and I never have. And I know there are people in this industry that do it. I will not stay up all night working on a project. I won't. I just have found it's very important to communicate very clearly with your client, understand expectations. If something's going to come up where you're not going to make the deadline, you need to tell them as soon as possible, have those conversations because it's just, again, it's important to to sleep and Absolutely. have your life. So <laughs> yeah, you can't function without no. it. So good for so you. I've always worked hard to, to try to keep it separate. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm on my phone like a lot in the evenings, <laughs> but uh, you sure. know. 
So let's talk just real briefly before we pivot too far from your career focus. What are some specific issues that are impacting your industry right now that you're being asked to champion? I think one of the biggest ones is a lot. We're having a lack of engineers that are applying. We have so many jobs posted and we have a lot of work. We have started actually declining to take on some opportunities, even when they're sole sourced opportunities, because we just can't find enough people to hire. And so I don't know that necessarily that there's a whole lot I am doing as a champion for that, but I'm certainly trying to work with our talent resource or talent acquisition group to figure out, are there new ways we can do this? We as a corporation are looking, doing a compensation study to figure out how are we in compared to the market with our compensation? What are other ways we can do to become more competitive? Getting into the colleges and universities, not just at the college fairs, but actually getting in and connecting with the people coming into classrooms and things like that. So I think that is really one of the biggest challenges that I'm seeing right now in our industry is lack of workforce. And it's not going to get any better. As a marketing firm, I can't tell you how many clients are now coming to us not to sell more product, but to find more people. So it's been a really interesting marketing challenge to become sort of a recruitment arm, you know, of what we do. Right. With that, I'm curious how your organization is handling succession planning. What does that intentional conversation look like? We started a leadership cohort probably in 2019, maybe, thinking about the fact that our last founder, well, there was actually two founders still at that time. So maybe this one was retiring that year. And then the last one was retired at the end of 22. And just as the organization kept getting larger, and we needed to have more, more people in this operations role to have more of a structure. So we really have had a lot of transition. Again, our, our CEO and president is brand new. I mean, he's worked at CEC for a long time, but he became the CEO in 22, and then he became the CEO and president in 23. Our COO is retiring in June, so we're on wow. transitioning into a new COO right now. As we mentioned, Rick, he's our new CFO because our old CFO retired, so he's been with us maybe about two years. And then our operations team that I mentioned Myself and one other gentleman are new to the operations group. So we are just, there's so many opportunities for leadership. And so one of our big focuses for this year is to continue to identify who are the number twos. We have to have number twos lined up. Who are the number twos, not just from a upper level leadership, but in the office? Who's your number two to run your office? Who's your number two to run your civil department? number two to run your waste department. And so what's one of our main focuses this year is really identifying future leaders and then figuring out what we need to do to prepare them for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I hope that there's some other female counterparts that grow into those positions (laughs) with you. All right. Well, one of the questions I'm kind of using as my own little research as we go through these interviews this season is I want you to think back over your years of being a female in these traditionally male dominated industries. And are are there two or three things that you feel like, you know what, my point of view of the world, either in how I execute or in how I lead, was really influenced by certain interactions. I think back, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, just what it looks like to facilitate those conversations or having to have that strong voice. So I'm just curious, do you think that your experience or even your way of being 
was influenced based on those interactions? Well, it probably has, you know, there's not been this like moment of like, oh, this, this happened necessarily that's coming to mind for me. But I certainly think that I've learned over time after being in meetings and even seeing the interaction between other people in those meetings to know when to talk and when not to talk. When is something that important to me that I have to say something versus it's not that big of a deal. I could probably address this later. It's probably not going to result in a good conversation. So that's something that I've learned about being in meetings with more uh, leadership or, you know, if I'm, I'm on our, the CEC board of directors and so we talk about things and, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to bring that one up right now. That's just probably not good for you. Not not necessary. So I think, yeah, knowing when to talk and when not to talk is kind of an important thing. (laughs) That shows a level of maturity there for sure. I love that. Another question for you, circling back to the fact that you have three little ones at home. I think as female leaders, we get to where we are because we have like this intense desire for achievement. Sometimes we like to set goals. We keep the pushing the ball forward. But at the same time, that's while that's fulfilling to us in our career, there's a whole host of other things that lead to this level of fulfillment. So how do you balance those things when both maybe light your fire to be both very goal driven, but then also wanting to be home with your family and, and do those personal passions? I got married when I was 24 and just worked a lot and traveled a lot, did again, a lot of networking events and client interactions. And there's pros and cons of of having kids earlier, having kids late, but I worked a ton and my husband worked a ton until we got to the point where we had achieved a good amount of success in our careers. And then we were like, Oh, wait, hold up. Like there's, there's got, there's something we're missing here, you know? So then like I had my first baby when I was 36 and I think a lot of people discounted it that oh, they're not having kids. They're just focused on their careers. And that wasn't the case. It's just that I wanted to get to a point where I was established enough. And then, like I said, then I had, because I was 36, I was like, okay, better. <laughs> quick. Sure. I think that it would be challenging to, not be in a position where you were able to better dictate your own schedule and have the little ones at home. So because I can dictate my schedule and I can prioritize my my own activities, it helps me a lot to be able to have time for, for being at home. Did you find that after you had children that that switch was flipped in some way to not be as goal-driven or did, was it gosh, I've been doing this for so long, I'm just going to keep operating at this pace and also now have children. I say it's a little bit of both because I've certainly changed my priorities and my children in my family are my top priority, whereas before it was it was probably my just work, you. Yeah. right? <laughs> but I still am a very, like you mentioned, driven person that wants to do everything that I can and be the best and be at the top of my industry. So that drive hasn't gone. I just now have to figure out how I can do both, how I can be a really good mom and be present and not have them, you know, asking why I'm not home a lot, things like that versus still getting a lot done here at work. You know, I think too, the people here at CEC are very supportive of the fact that I have kids and they're always like, I'm surprised you do as much as you do when you have those three little kids. And, you know, so if I'm like, I have to go, I'm sorry, I got around to this meeting. No one ever, I don't ever worry that someone is judging me 
they're like, okay, cool. Yep. Check you later. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Um, so it's really supportive and it's good. I do have to say my kids, I've got two girls, five and nine and you know, they're a lot, but I can't imagine three, four and five. That's really a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if those of you who can't see her right now, she's nodding. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much. I know. Well, after we had, we had a girl and then we had a boy and my husband was like, okay, great. Like we're done. And I'm like, no, I want to have three. He's like, what? <laughs> so and then we had another girl and I'm like so happy that we had another girl, but that's, that's great. Okay. Sister's the best. <laughs> All right. I want to pivot a little bit to you as a leader. I know I sent you over some questions just to start thinking about, you know, what are some core beliefs that you have or leadership philosophies that are core to how you lead? And I think some of this was maybe coming out in what I was talking about earlier, but I was thinking about it. And I think I want to be a partner and work together with my team to achieve our goals and not this authoritative, like, you know, or dictate what we shall do, but really be, again, you know, back to the problem solving, be part of working together, be part of the team, working right there side by side to figure out how to achieve these goals, whatever the goal might be. That's great. What about some specific accomplishments? When you think back over your career, there's some things you're really proud of? Probably having my three children and keeping this career going in my career. Then there's a couple of things probably along the lines. You know, when I got my professional engineer's license, that was just huge. That was something I was so proud of that I was able to, to take that and pass that. What about failures? I love failure stories because we learn so much from them. (laughs) And I was thinking about this one. I mean, there was nothing like a really big one that comes to me, but there's probably a lot of small ones. And a lot of them are probably related to communication. Really? Be it lack of communication. It's so easy to just send an email instead of picking up the telephone and calling a person. Little things like that. Or like I said, you know, something that I had to work on was just how I communicated and not being so direct and in your face about stuff and really trying to be thoughtful about how the other person felt about the the communication or what was happening. So there's not, not like one thing that comes to mind, but I think it's a lot of those like little things that I learned from that then have made me better here in the end. Yeah, I I struggle with that question too, because I've been asked it on panels. And I think especially for goal-driven people, you don't dwell on things. You're always looking forward. So it's hard to like, you know, think about failures because you're constantly learning. Everything's moving you up. Talk a little bit about advice that you might have for another leader or female in, you know, heavy industry. Is there something you pass along to your people? And I think you had read it. There was a blog done whenever I got promoted to this new position. And I had, I had talked about a couple of things as advice for other like CEC employees, but it really goes beyond CEC. And it was a couple of them were, you know, to say yes to new opportunities. That was like when they were like, well, do you want to move up to Northeast Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere for two months to open this office? I was like, Ooh, that sounds a little bit scary, but yeah. Okay, great. Yes, let's go. I'll do it. Hey, do you want to start working on these this new industry, it's this Marcellus Shale. Like, we don't even know what that is, really. Do you want to start designing well pads? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll try it out. Let me see what it's all about and things like that. So, saying yes to new opportunities. And then also, a couple other things was that I mentioned earlier was being seen. I never was the person that went into the brown bag or the stockholder meeting and sat in the back row. 
I was maybe not in the front row, but I was like in the first couple rows, you know, if you have a question, speaking up and asking a question. And also one other thing that is taking your own personal time to learn new things. I think people sometimes think that they're just the company, whoever you're working for should pay for your time to do everything. And some of it is about your own personal growth. And so there's something that, you know, you want to spend a little bit more time to become an expert on. Take a little bit of your personal time to invest in that too. So yeah, I guess be seen, say yes, try to do everything you can to learn. Even if it's on some of your own personal time, it's only going to help you move up. I love that. Sounds like you're a hard worker, Lauren. I think that that's probably one of your values. That's great. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. Okay. So we always end with a question for another. Is there something that you're struggling with right now that you'd love to get some feedback on? Hmm. It's probably more of like a work-life balance thing. You know, as, as the kids get older and they start getting involved in sports and activities, I'm sort of like not looking forward to that. Is figuring out how to how to have the career and be busy and at times have to travel for work and stay overnight when your kids have activities. And I mean, I think ultimately it's going to have to just, just have, I don't know, you just have to figure it out, right? I mean, that's sort of how I take things. Like you're not going to have necessarily a choice. You just got to figure it out. So I think that's one thing that I'm, as again, as the kids get older, it's going to get busier and busier and busier and how to continue juggling the work-life balance. Completely true. And I think I lean on my other mom friends who have kids at all stages of life. And it seems like every stage is new and challenging, but we keep pushing forward. Yep. Yep. Well, again, I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you for being one of the women that we feature in these industries. I am excited to share this episode. Is there anything you want to add? No, I think just be strong in who you are, be confident. That's something that I think is so important especially whenever you're around a room full of, of males, you have to be confident sure. yep. just that you, you know, know what who you're you talking are. about. You're just as smart as they are. And there's no reason to be treated any differently. I love that so much. Awesome. Well, I hope we can keep in touch, Lauren. Thanks yeah. again for doing this. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Well, there you have it. I'm so proud to bring you episodes this season from the hardworking women in leadership and decision-making roles getting it done at Heavy Industry Brands. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget you can check out more episodes of the podcast at our marketingsweats.com website or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat again soon. 